Before we get started with today's episode, I would like to take a moment to acknowledge and thank the brave people working through this turbulent, uncertain and scary time. As the UK, like many other nations, is in a state of lockdown, it is important to consider those that are still putting themselves at risk to provide key services. Whilst there has been an amazing outpouring of support for NHS staff, I would ask that we also recognise non-NHS health workers, care staff, teachers and anyone else putting others before themselves when it matters the most. Thank you. The place that most photographers seem to differ would be in genre. So you obviously sort of designate photographers based on whether they're a landscape photographer or a portrait photographer and so on and so forth. Whereas with you, obviously, the difference comes in the medium. Um, so without me making an idiot of myself, could you explain to me the medium that you work within? Okay, so uh, currently I mainly shoot uh, wet plate collodion, which is the second practical photographic process. Um, yeah, we're going back to mid mid nineteenth century, um, and it involves making and pouring your own film onto a substrate, which is usually aluminium or glass. Sometimes uh, it'll be acrylic. Amazing, and and obviously one of the things that I'm just going to have to dive in with is is why that in an age where everybody's trying to get sort of the newest spaceship with a lens on the front. Why are you doing um, something that's yeah? I, so think, old? I think it's part. It's partly that it's the newest spaceship with a lens on the front. I uh, I spent. About six years shooting abandoned buildings around the world. I made a couple of books. It was all digital, um, usually for newspapers or just, like I say, for publishers. Um, and that was always about getting the newest tilt shift lens and the, the lightest tripod and this lens and that lens. And everything was very quick and fast and shoot five, uh, five images bracketed of everything and then come back yep. and spend hours processing. Um, and to be fair, after a while, I think anyone can be a fairly proficient photographer. There's a difference between mm -hmm. someone being decent at photography and someone being excellent. Um, and I felt like I was decent at anything in photography, but I was bored by what I was doing. It wasn't a challenge in any way, shape or form. Um, you could go and you could see what someone else has done the other side of the world and just go do the exact same thing if you wanted to, because that's the digital world we live in. Um, and I was doing my MA and wasn't particularly happy with what I was producing. wasn't particularly happy with the MA, to be fair, um, and decided that once I did my dissertation, as a reward, I would go out and um, do some platinum printing, try some wet plate, try a few other alternative processes that I've been looking at, at and reading about quite some time. I've always been a bit of a history buff, photography or otherwise, to be fair. And yeah, mm -hmm. I, I tried I tried a few different alternative processes and really enjoyed more of them, to be fair, and ended up going back to the same studio up in Manchester of a, a gentleman that's been doing stuff for about 20, 30 years called John Brewer and did my MA project there. Uh, I spent a week that summer uh, doing pattern printing and, and wet plate collodion and decided that that's the direction I wanted my own work to go in, something a bit more handcrafted and a little bit more in tune with me as an artist creating something instead of being disconnected and using devices that have their own uh, their own schedules or their own way of thinking. It was purely me doing the thinking. There was no more this calculates exposure, this does this for me, this does that for me. It's just literally me, some bellows, pouring some liquids and a dark room and, and all the technology just goes out the window and suddenly you have to do things with feeling and that creates an emotional reaction, which I think is important in life. Oh, absolutely. So 
would it would it be fair to say that it's as much about the process as it is the end product then for the reasons that you prefer that yeah i i i like process-based stuff i think i always have as an artist i'm quite technical but um yeah hands-on physical process and yeah they have a beautiful beautiful atmosphere to the portraits but there's many many photographic processes that have beautiful beautiful atmospheres it doesn't necessarily make one better than the other wet plate because it's so individual and because quite often not you're making a, a positive that is a one-off um and you're doing it by hand there's just a very satisfying sense of when you do something it has a very real world effect right there and then it's not taking a thousand images in a, in eastern yep. europe and then coming back and spending five weeks processing it's not that at all um yeah and although there's nothing wrong with that, and that's primarily what I teach at college to young students, I teach them Photoshop. So this morning I was doing a, a double exposure tutorial and, and another digital manipulation tutorial, and it has its place. It's obviously very important in in this this world that those kind of Photoshop and Lightroom skills, um, they're not satisfying for me as they used to be. Okay. I mean, that absolutely makes sense to me. I think... Um one thing that would be the terrifying part coming from a digital world towards a film world or wet plate world or anything like that would be the margin for error obviously is massively reduced and you are basically get it right or cost yourself a lot of money. Um, yeah. Do you find yourself, obviously now you're very experienced and, and very talented for what you do, but have you found over the years you've made many expensive mistakes? Uh, I think I think expensive mistakes is all you can make in photography that's not digital. Um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, so my last proper series, because since I've been teaching, uh, as as is the bane of anyone that teaches or lectures, uh, you end up producing less of your own work. Um, my last series was uh, a a basically collaborative series with people that identified as non-binary trans, and they were. Is this the uh, zero zero one? Yeah, um, so the zero project, one right. binary series. Yeah, so that that is. Um, basically amber types which is glass uh, and they mm -hmm. were 17 by 14 inches so they're big uh, and they were probably costing between 20 and 30 quid to make a time um, just to make one and every time someone comes you make three or four of them i know that doesn't sound like a lot to make when a photographer could make hundreds of images with a digital camera yeah. and one photo shoot but you had to kind of get it right and you don't often get it right working at that kind of scale in a process that's difficult because all your problems are magnified um but yeah that's that's part does, of the joy of it, I suppose. Does that also put quite a lot of does it put quite a lot of onus on your sort of pre-production and the way that you speak to your subjects in getting them prepared? Yeah. Does it have that have to be very thorough? You, I, I generally when I do uh, the, the rare times that I do a portrait photo shoot anymore, there will be a lot of talking before I do anything, and I'll do a dry run and show people what's going to happen with the flash packs that I use and how I'm going to load the film and how that's going to work, so they can see and they're not sort of distracted when I'm doing it the first time. And how yeah. they'll have to stand and what the what the flash because I use about fifteen thousand watts, what that will feel like because it will feel like the sun going off in front of you uh, yeah. as of the heat and the light and that helps but then you know i make mistakes as well i'm human so when i'm pouring uh, a thin oil like liquid on top of a piece of glass that's so big that i generally have to use like two hands to actually maneuver it you're going to make mistakes but uh, sometimes yeah. those mistakes those happy instances or circumstances are the best part about a final image anyway um well, it's funny you say that because I was um, I follow quite a few sort of 35 millimeter or medium format photographers on various formats like YouTube and Instagram and whatnot. And I saw an interview where someone said that the reason someone would go towards film is because they're not chasing perfection. 
And yeah. the, the, the funny thing with digital photography is that to try and seem more like film, they're going in the complete opposite direction of chasing perfection. Yeah. Yeah. Would that, would that, that's it about right? It's definitely something I think, uh, well, in, in, in all sorts of art, areas of art, let alone photography, people look at analog and, and, and the idea of just letting something happen and the chaos that can come about from just using chemistry with your hands. Um, and not knowing what the end result will be instantaneously, just just seeing what happens and letting go a little bit. I, I was a very, and still am a very particular photographer, but incredibly so with my my abandoned work, which was all digital. Um, yeah, incredibly incredibly slow to set up all my stuff, but then I would take two hundred pictures of the same scene from slightly different angles, from slightly different exposures. Yeah, yeah. Um, and that's all well and good, but that 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 idea of wanting to control everything. Is I don't think it's very positive. Uh, I don't think it's yeah. particularly healthy either, because then you're going to Photoshop and do the exact same thing at 400% picking pixels. Um, whereas with wet plate, yes, I still want to get it right. Of course I do. I don't want to just let it all go up into chaos and see what happens. But at yeah. the same time, I have a respect for the process and I know that I'm not always going to be in control. So sometimes things are going to happen and I have to celebrate those things, especially when um, they're fortuitous and they happen how you, how you would like them to happen. Absolutely. One thing I have to ask, because obviously it's something I've never touched upon. I've never, I've never worked myself. Do you find yourself having days where you're not in the right mindset to be doing it? Because it's obviously quite labor intensive and it's quite um, thought intensive. Do you find there are days where it's almost not worth touching it because you're not in the right mind mindset? Uh, generally, no, I'm quite determined. So, but I do have days where maybe uh, a similar thing is happening, but it's generally the chemistry. So there'll be days where something's wrong and you will not be able to find out what is wrong. Changing one thing at each each portrait or each plate will not help you, and you're either going to continue to uh, uh, ram your head against a brick wall and see what happens, or you have to go, okay, well, process doesn't want to play today, so I have yeah. to just take a step back and just go do something else, unless unless I'm getting paid money. Obviously, if it's commission, then that's a different ballgame. That's, that's not personal work, so you just keep on going and make the best of it as you can. But um, physically for me to pour the plates and to make the chemistry and, and, and do it is actually after a year or so it's not the problem it's more it's more the act of uh trying to figure out what's going wrong the fault finding in, in processes like that that are a lot more mentally draining and some days you're just you, you're not going to make it happen maybe maybe you are slightly off your game and you're not going to figure out why something's happening um sometimes i figure stuff out six months afterwards and i'll look at the plate again and go i know what caused that um, ah, right but that's okay because that's that's quite nice you know that's that doesn't happen with, doesn't happen with digital at all really no i think we're, obviously we're in an age where people just go out and they spray and they come back and they just they filter through and they use photoshop to fill in the cracks whereas obviously mm. with what you're yeah. doing it's more a case of a lot of pre-production a lot of understanding every single facet of what you're doing before you then dive in and pull the trigger um one one thing i don't know and i'm absolutely fascinated to find out how easy is it to source the things that you need to do wet plate photography the chemistry unfortunately uh this country being the country that we are being uh, the health and safety conscious and quite well, maybe not a nanny state nanny state's not the right word but we like to protect our people uh, rightly or mm -hmm. wrongly so a lot of the chemistry involved in wet plate uh is explosive uh, or is right. a precursor to an explosive or could be seen as a poison so you have to get a license for uh for certain things mm. if you want to buy them so I have a, a poisons and explosive precursor license from uh, the Home Office, I believe is who, who uh, 
give us that out. That might be the coolest yeah, license yeah. I've ever heard of. I've got it. I can. I'll send you a photo after this, my friend. Uh, <laughs> it's it's quite cool, but um, it does just make getting things really hard. And I know a lot of other European countries, it's not quite so difficult. So right. you're basically reliant on two two proper suppliers in the whole country that can actually get you stuff. And if you want to make it yourself, um, that's one supplier. And getting the the raw materials to make the clothing yourself from another country is almost impossible these days. Um, and yeah, I can understand why it, it is technically explosive. Although if you were going to make an explosive to actually cause damage, this would not be the one you would make because it's expensive and it's right. not that powerful. But yep. um, yeah, it can be it can be a challenge. What about in terms of like cameras and um, and optics? That's relatively easy. Uh, large format cameras um, obviously are more more or less ten a penny these days. Uh, they're still expensive, but they're not as expensive as their digital counterparts in most circumstance uh, circumstances. Uh, the lenses are the hardest part because they need to be fast. We're talking sort of ISO one or just below ISO one. Uh, so yeah. you need uh, a large format lens generally that is f four. 5.6 at a push my giant lens that does my uh up to 19 by 19 inch plates is uh, a 6.3 and that is too slow so i have to end up doing a quite a lot of pushing and development which doesn't help the final image unfortunately right and is it just the case that lenses obviously due to the 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 fact that it's large format you know f4 is obviously incredibly narrow depth of field by comparison there's yeah, just not lenses that narrow. go much wider no, uh, the the only ones we tend to get uh, will be uh, one second. Sorry, someone was trying to call me then. Um, yeah, you do tend to get ones that go down below that sort of f five point six into the ranges you want, but more often than not, they'll be sort of pre nineteen fifties and very much in uh, the nineteenth century. There's tons of them because obviously they were using this process and other processes that were incredibly slow. So that then gets you into the world of collectors who collect them because they're not photographers, but because they're beautiful brass petzl lenses from an yeah. era of the birth of photography. So obviously they collect these items and because wet plate and other processes that are similar have grown, they've grown in value. So to be fair, I think that's probably the biggest technical uh, or technical piece of equipment that can hang with a real, real, real price tag, like scarily uh, yeah. expensive. So most of my stuff tends to be early 20th century because it's just cheaper, even though it's not as nice in the final set, it's nearly as fast yeah. and, People ignore those kind of 1930s lenses as not having, I suppose, the uh, the same prestige. Collectors are strange yeah. people. They are. Um, they are very strange people. Um, what one thing I noticed, I looked, I had a good long look at your website, and um, I followed the the Zero One project. Um, I saw you posting quite a bit of that on Instagram, and then I I found the other projects uh, from your website. The uh, Remove, Restore, Replace. Um, could you just talk me through that a little bit? Okay, so that was actually what we were discussing at the beginning. So the MA was, uh, I was still shooting abandoned buildings around the world, mainly Europe. And I, mm -hmm. I've always had a thing for us living in the kind of post-industrial country where a lot of our parents, grandparents or associated family would have people that worked in industry especially if you're yeah. from a working class background, whether or not it was the ships or the mines or the steel industry, and that all disappeared after uh, World War II slowly but surely. So I've always sort of been captivated by that. I suppose 
nostalgic for a past that I didn't that I don't own, and at the same time, probably sillyly so because it probably was horrific. But um, so I'd been taking pictures of those kind of buildings for a few years, um, not really for any purpose. They weren't to publish or anything else, just because I enjoyed going to those places. They're like cathedrals of steel and 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 the same. And um, just as I was doing the MA project, I was starting to convert some of my old catalog from digital to analog. So using wet plate just as a printing process, not, yep. not to actually take photographs. Uh, the British steel industry was having all that trouble where uh, it looked like it was going to go under. And I just thought now is the time to to convert these over and, and make make these monoliths, these uh I don't know, places of almost like places of worship and turn them into turn them into glass objects because they're coming pieces of our past right before our yeah. eyes. Um and yeah, that was that was remove, replace, restore. Um so uh, a project that I hope to revisit at some point. I think it's obvious that the medium really suits the subject matter and, and oh, um, one sure. thing that really yeah, it's it's something that I think digitally you'd either get someone take it too far in the sense of just trying to bring out every single little nook and cranny and every mm. bit of clarity they could and it would just look hyper real and, and would be easily ignored. Um, or they would just go the other way with it, which is they, they would just rely on the camera doing all the work and you wouldn't get anything of any real value anyway. Um, how do you go about when you've taken these, like especially the, the bigger images that you take, how do you go about sort of transferring them onto a computer? So, oh, oh, okay. So yeah, I re-photograph them. So yeah, again, a lot of stuff I like doing is is moving from digital to analog or analog to digital. So I like to re-photograph things. Um, so the really big plates, um, quite often they will be lying on a table in my in my studio at night with me with two big continuous lights at sort of forty five degrees and mm-hmm. the camera above them, and I'll just re-photograph them at, at sort of. 38 megapixels and then have to subtly uh subtly clone stamp out the camera that you'll see in the reflection especially if it's a glass object um ah. so it's like not, I, see, I was thinking there would be like some kind of scanner or or you can, some, some really the clever smaller thing ones, smaller ones yep. for sure um but the larger ones are, I, I think the easiest way is just like you would do in a, a museum or, or or somewhere else where you're having to conserve objects or digitize them which is just to re-photograph them just like you would in the studio with the camera on top of them and two lights providing an even illumination and just take the pictures and then edit any out any inconsistencies that weren't on the actual object but are there by reflections or whatever else and Um, do you think obviously because you're the person that a took the the image and b has the image in front of you do you think mm -hmm. that the digital representation is anywhere near the same as no, what you're getting not, from not, the real thing not, not with wet plate no. it's nowhere near but it's still impactful uh, and because they're going to be seen primarily on a, a digital medium there there isn't much choice obviously when they're in the gallery i think they're so much stronger especially glass tin yeah. uh, is remarkably similar aluminium um mm-hmm. but but amber types are a thing of beauty and when you actually see them and you realize that like for people that don't realize till they see them that they're actually a piece of glass and that's a film on glass and you can move around and it changes how it feels. Um, it changes of, how it of, feels. But out of tin and glass, um, which, which is obviously your preferred I use aluminium medium. the most. I use the tin type the most because it's the most accessible. Um, mm-hmm. It's a lot easier to prepare and work with the aluminium because uh, it's quick. So if someone's coming in for a portrait, I can have that done. So they, they usually have a four-hour session just because you get something done and there's time to varnish and dry and scan. Um, 
but they can walk away with them that day. Whereas with glass, quite more often than not, you'd have to you have to add a layer of black. So the process is a a positive is basically a weak negative. Uh, right. So you make it, and then if it's just on glass, you actually can't see the image because it's a negative. So the collodion only provides you your highlights and your midtones. So you need a black or or to be fair, you could put another color if you didn't want a black. Black, you could use the blue if you wanted. Um, mm-hmm to provide you those shadows. So with the glass that generally now means you're going to use acrylic paint or you could go old school and, and asphalt or bitumen them or use velvet sandwich between two pieces of glass, but you have to do something else to make it a, a visible image in the normal sense. Right. Um, and that, that means if someone's there waiting, that's not really a possibility unless they want to come back and collect them another day. So I tend to right. work aluminium for that, but for, for gallery stuff, for stuff that's been for exhibition, um, I, I, yeah, it's pretty much always been glass for me. Do you still uh, shoot yeah. digitally at all? Yeah. Yeah. Every day. Cause of, cause of teaching, I still shoot digitally. Um, nothing for my own work, but for other people, yes. For money. Yes. Commercial work. Yes. Uh, teaching definitely. Um, if it was up to me and I, I didn't have to use my phone to represent my life like everyone seems to do, uh, mm-hmm. I could quite happily just shoot, shoot wet plate and film, um, large format film uh, for now until the end of my uh, days, whenever that is. Uh, I think I'd be satisfied with that. Well, I think as far as people, um, the sort of breakdown of the way that we're currently living, I think maybe a few more weeks of lockdown and I think we might start going backwards a few centuries in terms of civility. So there's always the possibility for that to go well. Who who knows where we're going to be after this and whether or not they'll make the changes we might need to make. We'll Uh, see. Highly doubtful. Yeah, I don't think society's going to change, unfortunately. We don't seem to respond to to disasters uh well well, we do but just for about three or four days we feel good about ourselves and we revert back um and there's one other project on your website i i have to say contains probably some of my favorite um images of yours which is your states of decay one okay yes do you want to just give us a sort of brief rundown of that it's um it was my second uh published book not self-published um and I contacted the publisher after doing my first book on Chernobyl and just said, would they be interested in me me going to North, uh, sorry, getting uh, my partner knocking at the door, even though they know I'm doing. <laughs> um, yeah, so basically they said, um, would I like, well, I said, would, would they be interested in me going to America to, to photograph uh, the Northeast Northeast, yeah, northeast, so five, six states in a few weeks, and and yeah, just just try and get as many abandoned buildings as possible. Um, yeah. And I, I took it took it on with a friend who was a photographer that I'd, I'd often travel with at the time, and. I could have quite easily done it for a few months, but he was married or is married and could only get three weeks. So we ended up doing 5,000 uh, kilometers in three weeks and just uh, an insane wow. amount of buildings. We were broken by the end of it. I think the last, uh, in the last three days of the three weeks, we just went to New York city and just didn't do any photography. We're like, no, it's done. It's done. Yeah. We are cooked. All we've done is photograph <laughs> from morning to night. Uh, and now we just want to sit and eat some pizza and not think about abandoned buildings anymore. Um, How long does it take for the um, the pain of that to wear off and you want to pick up a camera again? 
I, I don't think I t- I don't think we went to shoot at Bannonburns for a couple of months. I ended up just editing and editing and editing because um, mm-hmm. yeah, there was there was thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of images images as you can imagine. Um, yeah, well, so I, I think one cards. thing because of the size of the country that we live in and the, the sort of the constant need to renew stuff as it's abandoned, you get something else mm. in. We obviously yeah. don't have quite the same. Um, contingent of amazing abandoned places as america does especially the northeast yeah no uh it's it, it can be it's, it's very weird it's a, i think it's not even size it's cultural because i always found when i was still shooting abandoned stuff regularly belgium was the best country for me in the whole of uh, europe and right. even though belgium's tiny there was just so much abandoned industry so much uh, i suppose they were the steel kings in the world for a short period of time and it really showed so you had all these steel mines and steel works and uh, abandoned power plants and they were just everywhere whereas as you say in this country we're very quick to renew we're very very quick to renew i imagine i'm probably going to get um really really taken to task if i don't sort of double back on something you brought up chernobyl Mm -hmm. could you just please tell me about chernobyl uh yeah so i went years ago now this is when i I wouldn't have even really considered myself a photographer i was very early in that journey i was still uh doing a ba in a museum restoration um but i i got told by a few people that they were going. I, uh, I spoke to a publisher and said, hey, I, I, I'm going to this place with a few people I know. Uh, we're from multiple countries around Europe. Would you be interested in us recording uh, Chernobyl 25 years after the actual uh, incident, accident, catastrophe? Mm-hmm. Um, and they were up for it. Uh, so we went and it was profound, obviously. And part of you feels like a vulture because you're staying in a town just off outside of the exclusion zone from people staying in people's apartments who still potentially work in the zone or their family worked in the zone. So it's been built yep. because of what's happened. And then you come in as as Western Europeans who have got more money and live in a country where disaster like that hasn't taken place and you haven't been behind a iron curtain and you take yep. pictures of, of what happened to them and then feel really terrible about it. It was, yeah, it was one of the reasons I've slowly moved away from that kind of photography because it does feel a little bit too voyeuristic, other people's pain. Mm. Um, yeah. But yeah, I'm, 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 and I'm, from from a perspective of just, just photography, it's an amazing place to be. But mentally, I think uh, all, all of us were a little bit like, oh, wow, this is, uh, this is quite, it's quite profound and not necessarily in a positive way. Um, did you find yourself yeah. um like did you kind of realize the scope of what you were doing when you were there yeah yeah because in evening, terms of what it is in history and yeah yeah every literally every evening we came back to this apartment about 50 60 kilometers away in slavich i think it's pronounced and it had been built because of what had happened in pripyat um mm-hmm. so every evening you're in this town that looks very 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 similar uh, and you're staying in an apartment that doesn't have hot water because the town hasn't paid its bill it still kind of feels like soviet russia even though we're in ukraine and it's when the, the curtain is not down anymore and then you just think don't you you're sitting there mm-hmm. thinking every evening and we, we so yeah all of us found there well all of us in that apartment there was four of us there um did find the whole experience obviously very very interesting but at the same time a little bit unsettling um yeah right so it's an amazing place i think especially for people maybe that are a bit disconnected and view like the urbex scene as being um Mm. a collection of trophies depending on where you've been i'd say chernobyl tends to be seen as sort of the top 
tier of where you yeah, could go. But obviously, if you start to get your head around the scope of what actually ha- took place there, it's a bit, like yeah, you said, it's no, a bit it's, taxing. It is, it is. And, and the whole dark tourism and, and sort of sites of negative heritage, heritage since then, I've been a little bit more wary of that because you can just be someone that, okay, if it's contributing to the economy of the place and it's helping people, then it has a purpose. But if you're there and you're just taking and then you go and you make a book like me and you make a little bit of money off it, not much, but you start making a name for yourself out of what is a place of still reasonably intense suffering, um, Mm. then you you start to question your choices as an individual. Or I I did. Some other people, hey, and as you say, urbex can be about trophy hunting and it can be about that kind of tourism of like, look at me, look at wherever I've been, which happens too much in digital photography anyway. Um, Yeah, I mean, I'm someone that I don't don't follow it incredibly um, in terms of like following stuff on YouTube or, or following anyone that's doing that kind of work. I try to keep it to a minimum purely because I find on the whole, people are way too um, disrespectful to the places that they're visiting. The ones that I do follow are the ones that don't take anything from the place they go to. They don't disturb what's there. They're there to document and then maybe contribute to the area, but they're not there to sort of take stuff for their own, like trophy hunting. Mm. Yeah, I mean that's it's, that's just me personally. I, having never done much urbexing of any sort myself, I'm, I'm now too fat to do it anyway. But um, <laughs> so, so yeah. to move away from the sort of the terrible dark stuff, one thing that I was curious about is um, if you wanted to go and do um, wet plate work abroad, how would you go about doing that? Would you have to take a camera and then source the materials while you're there? Yeah, so um, generally, I think people would take their equipment just like a photographer would, but they would, uh, yeah, contact a a a, a wet plater in that country and get them to provide or assist, depending on what that work is is like. To be fair, I've only ever done it around the UK, but um, yep. I know people have come over and spoken to me and got stuff for them. Um, so yeah, it's possible because there is just like any form of photography, I suppose you end up getting a, a kind of a, a community. Um, and I, I know Urbex is in America and, and a few dotted around Europe and yeah, generally cause it's a difficult process and it only attracts a very certain type yeah. of photographer. People tend to be quite helpful, uh, when it's talking about just the chemistry they're using and how things are working for them and how things aren't working for them. And when it yeah. comes to yeah, people wanting to come to other countries, other people are very likely to help them get what they need so they can facilitate them, I suppose. Probably a question you can't answer, but how many people do you think are actually doing wet plate and tin type photography in the oh, UK? It's, yeah, it's hard to know, isn't it? Um, it's really hard to know. I would have thought it's in the thousands, but who who actually knows? Wow. I, okay. I, I would have I would have thought the easiest way to check is is going on the Facebook groups and, and going on the other groups and trying to like have a rough estimate. But I would have thought there's uh, well thousands actually doing it every day. No. Um, but people have tried it at the very least, yes, because I've I've taught hundreds of people myself. Um, uh, and I know okay. maybe out of the people that I've taught on workshops, like I know about five to ten of them do it reasonably regularly, maybe more. Okay. And then you think there's other people that are doing the same and been doing it for longer. So I would, yeah, I would have thought it'd be in the thousands, just about. Whether that's just because they occasionally dabble and, and do a wet plate here or there because they've got a dark room or they're more serious about it. Do you feel like it's it's your responsibility or do you want it to be your responsibility to train people up to do it to kind of keep the art alive? Um, 
No, I don't think I feel. I feel that photography is going to do what photography is going to do, and people are going to do what they what they're going to do. Um, mm-hmm. I I take my enjoyment from doing it myself, but I've always been wanting to share knowledge. Uh, it's probably why I ended up being a lecturer. Um, so yeah, I don't feel any any responsibility. Uh, I'm definitely not the uh, last bastion of of historic process, although I know a few gentlemen that probably are. Um, but yeah, it's, it's it's a nice process, and unlike daguerreotype, which probably will eventually be very difficult to do, this might still have a little bit of time where the chemistry is available to people. How long? Who knows? But um, as long as there's a few people willing to still make stuff from raw materials and that you can get them, then we'll yeah. keep on shooting them, I suppose. <laughs> and probably something you've not really thought about, um, and I might be catching you out a little bit here, but what, what do you think of this sort of recent resurgence of 35mm film and medium format film? Um, it seems to be becoming more popular and good yeah, thing. No, I definitely think about it. Um, I definitely think about it. I think I was thinking about it during my MA, and I definitely think about it now that I teach. Um, yeah, it's, it's, I think the, the rise in people wanting to use handmade things not just in photography, but in a way as a craft and design and art, uh, is a direct response to the age we're living in, which is we're living in an information age, aren't we? Um, mm. Where, Whereas, I, I don't know how old you are, Chris, but I presume you're probably reasonably close to me. I'm an 80s child. Um, I had to go to a library to get information. Um, and then yeah, sometime yeah. around 15 <laughs> to sort of 20 years old, suddenly I could use the internet and there was dialogue. Yeah. And, and I was like, oh, wow wow, this is cool. And then about 10 years after that, it wasn't dialed up, it was broadband. And then suddenly you could search anything at any time. Um, that That's great. That really is. And I'm not knocking it because it is fantastic uh, that people have access to so much information is, is a brilliant thing. It's a boon. But that does mean people don't want to sit behind a screen when they get home and they want to try something different. So mm-hmm. pretty much every one of my close friends, whether they're an artist or not, and a lot of them are, artists but some of them aren't seem to have some sort of hand-based hobby yeah that isn't digital no it uh, absolutely um, makes sense it's obviously a reaction to being constantly in front of screens i think people in their yeah. work are in front of screens and then in their in their leisure time you barely see people look up from their phones so obviously yeah. eventually there's going to come a response to that yeah, people people want to make and craft things with their hands. So I look at Bake Off, just as a, a minor example of television. How many people yep. were into that and how many people are baking in that? And I know it's food and it's cooking, so it's a different thing. But I really feel like there's a rise in that kind of, what can I do at home that involves my hands? Uh, well, I, I started off my adult life as a, as a pastry chef and a baker. And okay. um, just to see it to see it become popular was bizarre. Because when I was yeah. doing it, coming out of school, it was like, um, it was considered like a bit of a crap job, even though I loved it and it was the, the art form I wanted to do. Um, it's just bizarre to see things like that kind of rise to prominence. Yeah, yeah. And I, yeah, I, I, I suppose it, it makes a perfect symmetry. It makes perfect sense it's, as a, a, a simple thing, as a reaction to how much digital screen time we all have to put in on a weekly basis, daily basis. Absolutely. Um, so a couple of kind of uh, pie-in-the-sky questions, if you don't mind. Um, yeah. As far as the portrait side of your your wet plate work goes, is, is there anybody you wish you could have sit for you and you'd like to photograph? Oh, dear. Dear, dear, dear. Oh, <laughs> that's, a, that's a hard one. Uh, they say never meet your idols, don't they? And, uh, yeah, uh, it's I usually think, true I think, as well. I, I think I agree <laughs> with that as... as um, 
as a, a premise. I really do. So I think I would go with no. I'm I I am and I probably always will be more interested in uh, just people in general when it comes to portraiture. So although I may say I want to I want to work with a certain subculture or a certain group of people because I like working in in series like that. Um, I would okay, well, let's let's go down that route. Let's go down that route then. <laughs> we, if we go away from the individuals and we go down the sort of the more cultural aspect, is there any mm. projects you'd like to have lined up or that I would like to that I'd like to investigate? Um, yeah. yeah, I suppose so. I, I I I at some point when I when I leave the city and eventually move to Brighton because it's it's on my agenda, I would like to do a lot more with the LGBTQ uh, community. I've enjoyed mm-hmm. that, and I enjoy hearing about people that have had different life experiences from me because I'm very much white male and, and middle class so it's it's nice to have your horizons broadened via conversation with others who've had different experiences I feel mm-hmm. like I can only grow from that and if it's positive for the other person as well then we're both growing so I would love to do more work uh, around that and at some point I wouldn't mind just from a, a wet plate perspective doing something with um, a disadvantaged uh, elderly community um but it's it's when thinking about those ideas it's more about how can i be of service to those people than me just take their portrait and run so i end up spending a long time thinking about well what can i do how can this be a a two-way street instead of a one-way street to my bank account because that's that's not cool um would it be fair to say then that when you're looking at new projects it's about as much you kind of calculating the emotional toll it's going to take on you as it is just the photographic side of things yeah yeah i because i i tend to overthink things i want to be someone that puts something positive out into the world um i end up thinking maybe overthinking who knows um a lot about what my impact's going to be and what what i'm aiming to achieve and how this is going to help or not help or hinder someone else um is it going to have a positive impact on on someone else's life as well as my own and if the answer is yes to both then then it could be worthwhile if it's just going to have a positive impact on me um i know (laughs) mentally it probably won't because i will feel like i'm being a dick and and because i'm a bit of a photography historian i've seen through history plenty and it's not just photography to be fair it goes back to us going around and, and colonialism people just taking pictures of the other in inverted commas and then yeah. getting rich or famous off that and although i have done a bit of othering whether it be abandoned buildings or the trans non-binary community i don't want to feel like when i'm doing it and when i'm putting it out there that i've only done it for one reason i want to be generally interested and i want to feel like it's positive and it's it's, it's giving something to someone else it's a collaborative uh, uh piece of work yeah i hope that it kind of explains i ramble on sometimes no no it's it's actually really interesting i think that like the perfect example of that is i've got a real adverse um i don't want to say hatred because that makes it sound a bit strong but i get really i get quite pissed off when i see people do street photography on the basis of um like poverty tourism yep 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 with you 100 percent. and there's a lot of it oh, incredible amount so i teach uh i teach on btex through to a, a foundation and a ba top up in photography so we're talking mainly about young young adults teenagers sometimes older and more often than not 
people's first introduction to kind of street photography, as you say, they'll be like, okay, what can I shoot on the street? So they might do some things that are funny. They might they might look at Bresson and some of the other brilliant people, but probably more likely than the like, okay, homeless people. Yeah, you know, it's yeah, grimy. Yeah, yeah. You know, they've got texture. You know, it's going to be black <laughs> and white. It's going to look profound. Uh, and then, then I have to teach them about the ethics of photography and the being a responsible photographer and how are you giving back to those people? How is this outreach? How are, how are you including them? Yeah. what are you doing to enrich their life because if you're not then you're taking from a disadvantaged community and that is not okay that is not acceptable yeah. that is not ethical um so yeah i i quite often i've had that conversation every year for the last few years with at least one student uh, and some of them get and they find a way around that that they can do something that's positive and that's yep. that's great man like if you want to go out there and talk to some homeless people like every day for for a couple of months and maybe get them some disposable cameras and get them to document their lives and it starts mm. becoming something that enriches them but then you have a, like a show and you include them cool yep. if you just want to take some black and white pictures and go look at how look at how uh grainy and cool these are then not so much i completely agree with you I think um, we're probably at a perfect time to to call that a day. I think this has been absolutely fantastic to learn from you. Um, well, one thing you. I do always I always ask guests to do is if you could just tell us all the places that we can find your work. Okay, so I'm on Instagram, uh, Daniel Barter Photography. Uh, you'll find me online at Daniel Barter for for my website, and yeah, I'm on Facebook and stuff. But just Instagram is probably the best place for me because it's where I post. You said you said anyway. as well about you had a couple of books. I do, I do. You'll find them both on Amazon. One's uh, States of Decay, uh, and the other is Chernobyl's Atomic Legacy. Um, Amazing. Thank yeah. you so much Thank for this. You. It's been absolutely brilliant. No, brilliant. Thank you for having me. It's been fun to talk to you. 